As fast as the speed of technology moves, so move the bad guys and their nefarious threats to banks, ransomware, malware, viruses, vulnerable software in need of patches. If banks can keep up and shape up, the big question is how. To find out, this week we'll be talking with cybersecurity expert Sean Cassidy. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you here with us. We are in the midst of podcast season three. We also want to welcome our new sponsor aboard, Horizon. Imagine a world where bank employees and customers are digitally fluent on all new and existing digital innovations before they are released. Horizon makes this a reality for its global bank partners. As a direct result, digital adoption rates and customer experience scores increase dramatically. Call Horizon today at 647-926-2468 to schedule a demonstration or visit H-O-R-I-Z-N.com. Again, that's 647-926-2468 or H-O-R-I-Z-N.com. And as always, you can check us out on iTunes podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Don't forget that time is ticking down. Registration is now open for BAI Beacon. That takes place October 4th and 5th in Atlanta. To learn more about the fast-paced financial services conference, visit BAI.org slash BAI Beacon. And today on the program, we have a guest who's going to take us right to the heart of the cybersecurity issue. Based in Seattle, we have Sean Cassidy. Sean is the co-founder and chief technology officer of Defense Storm. He's the author of numerous open source projects and has been involved in the information security community for more than a decade. He writes a blog about programming and startups too, and you can check that out at seancassidy.me. Sean, great to have you here on the program today. Thanks for having me. Cybersecurity. Bring us up to date on where things are. It seems to change all the time and why people really need to be on their toes. The recent thing going on is really kind of more of the same, but bigger. So there was the WannaCry ransomware recently that affected a lot of people. And we expect to see much more of that bigger and worse vulnerabilities that impact more and more different types of organizations. As the security measures become more sophisticated, so the hackers refuse to quit. It becomes a game of whack-a-mole. What are banks and financial institutions supposed to do with that? That's a great question. So the most important thing to notice is that the increase in attacks is almost always either financially motivated or motivated by espionage. Obviously, most banks and credit unions have good fraud controls and that sort of thing. But they might not, for instance, have good backups. And if you have good backups, you're effectively inoculated against ransomware, because even if it infects your network and they lock up all your data, you can just get all that from a backup and then you don't have to pay. And if you don't have to pay your ransom, you are not perpetuating this industry. Just like a business, they reinvest that money back into their technology to attack more people. It's kind of like the Borg. It grows and grows and grows. You don't have to pay a ransom if you've got the backup of your data. But in addition to that, there are certainly other themes that repeat themselves time and again when it comes to mistakes that banks are making. What do you see? 
banks are rightfully so a very conservative group. So in that conservativeness, they tend not to want to roll out patches immediately. They want to test them and they want to make sure it's not going to break things. But because of that, we're seeing criminals start taking these vulnerabilities that are released by Microsoft on Patch Tuesday. They'll reverse engineer and figure out what the problem was and then start attacking people as early as Wednesday or even the same day. That was actually a big part of this whole WannaCry bug because it wasn't just ransomware. It was ransomware that was driven by a software vulnerability that was unpatched. And actually, people had about 10 weeks to patch it. And if you didn't patch it in those 10 weeks, you were very likely to be hit by this. Howard Altman, who covers cybersecurity for BAI Banking Strategies, has written about how hackers can get in through a light bulb. I mean, that's incomprehensible to me on one level, but tell us a little bit about how that works and why financial institutions need to be on guard there as well. When you say like it's hard to believe that a light bulb is hackable, that light bulb is running a operating system in a computer. It's probably some Linux derivative. And then people buy them and they don't know that actually not only can your phone control it, but anybody can get control of it if they just know where to look. That's obviously a big problem. And it's very hard from a consumer standpoint to understand which devices are secure and which devices aren't. Actually, it's probably at this point an easy rule of thumb to say they're just not secure. Don't put them on your network unless you have to. There are two different techniques you can use to really protect your bank or credit union from somebody bringing in a funny light bulb or connecting a webcam, which would probably be a little bit more common. It's called segmentation. And there's two different types of segmentation. There's kind of the traditional one, which is basically we'll lump all of our salespeople into one area and we'll lump all our databases into another. You could create kind of a anything goes sort of IoT network if you wanted to have this and people could connect it to that network. The other kind of newer technology is called micro segmentation. And what that means is every single computer or every single light bulb in this case would have its own network and it can't talk to anybody else. It can only talk to the internet. By doing that, you're effectively limiting the damage that can be done to your networks, even if they are compromised. Wow. So it sounds like between micro-segmentation, the Internet of Things, some exciting stuff going on, but also in the very early stages. You have to be very careful. This is a very new technology, and I would put it in the research phase right now. You can research this sort of stuff. You can dabble in it a little bit. I would not make any strong investments in it just yet because of the unknowns. There's too many unknowns, especially from a security perspective, about are they secure? How do you update them? Like some of them are insecure and you can't even fix them, can't even update them. So I would say it's very interesting. If there's something in your business that is very that you think might benefit from it, then sure, research it, but don't necessarily put it into production just yet. If you were going to gaze into your crystal ball then and tell us near term what sort of breakthroughs might be coming up from the fintech community or from startups to fight some of these issues, what's out there? So the biggest problem is not actually the technology. It's not like we can't solve this problem. It's really the adoption of the technology. Because based on existing network technologies, existing detective technologies, we can actually fix most of this stuff. There are a few companies and startups trying to do specifically IoT security or networking, but I really think the big thing is just better informing of the actual existing solutions. So that's actually going to be the big challenge for both existing vendors and startups. How do you actually get your message out? How do you convince people that this is the right way to do things? Hmm. What in particular is an area of 
cybersecurity that you're passionate about as you move forward into what's next? So what I'm passionate about is there's so many great existing what I call point solutions. So there's great network intrusion detection. There's great endpoint protection. That's like your computers. There's great next generation firewalls. There's so many great tools out there and people are buying them and using them. But the problem now becomes my firewall detected something and then my antivirus detected something and those aren't tied together at all. And because of that, you have to have a human look at this and then understand all of these different systems. And you have to say, okay, I understand that the antivirus fired a little bit after the firewall sent me an alert. And really tying that together is a lot of manual labor. That's a lot of what security analysts today do. And that's why we have to have so many security analysts. And what I'm really interested in, what my company is trying to do, is really to tie all of these different systems together and to say, okay, well, your firewall sent a message, and then your antivirus sent a message, and then we detected an anomaly on the same computer. This is like a sequence of events, right? And this is a very strange sequence of events. And by telling the security analyst that, hey, this kind of complicated sequence happened, now they don't have to do all of that correlation in their head. It's already done for them. And when it's already done for them, they can then investigate real problems faster so we can do more with less people. Wow, it sounds almost like a chain of dominoes going off and all the security analyst has to do is watch those dominoes fall and know immediately that something to miss. Right. And that's a pretty tricky problem. It's a pretty challenging problem to actually be able to understand what the firewall is telling you, what this is telling you, and to tie those together. But that's what I'm really passionate about. I think it's a really interesting problem, and nobody really has a good solution yet. I think we're on the road there, but it's a kind of a green field. Mm -hmm. Now, banks certainly can empower themselves quite a bit on the security front, but that boils down to which controls and policies banks should be putting in place. One of the things that I think is a great idea is to have three main groups of controls for this. Preventative controls, don't let people do this. Detective controls, find out when they do this. But also training. Once a year, if you actually tell your employees, like actually plugging in, you know, this internet connected light bulb could seriously impact the bank and we could be hacked this way and we could lose a lot of money. So I really think you need to have all three sets of controls. That's preventative to stop people from doing things, detective to find out when things are going wrong, and then training to remind people of why we're doing these things and why it's important. You've given us an incredibly comprehensive view of the landscape, a lot to take away. Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Sean Cassidy is the co-founder and chief technology officer of Defense Storm. He's based in Seattle. Be sure to look for Sean on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, ransomware continues to be a growing worldwide problem, but there is a fix that banks can employ to be invulnerable to ransomware, and that's to keep a good backup of all of your sensitive data and information. Should hackers ever attack and demand a ransom, you don't have to give in. Number two, think of these two techniques as effective defenses, segmentation and micro-segmentation. With segmentation, traditional areas and subsets of your bank, sales departments for example, go on their own networks 
where data is segmented to keep it from being attacked en masse. Microsegmentation can filter down to a granular level where every computer, every light bulb, every device hooked up through the Internet of Things exists on its own network and can only talk individually to the Internet. And number three, in your ongoing attempts to remain secure, have the right controls and policies in place. This breaks down to three levels, preventative controls, detective controls, and regular training. If you train your employees at least once a year, the employees become the most powerful asset to drastically improve bank security. Sean spoke about the need for backups and data, and there is at least one example in movie history of how a backup made a difference, a $500 million difference. That's how much Toy Story 2 grossed at the box office. And in the winter of 1998, a 14-letter command accidentally plugged into the master hard drive nearly spelled disaster. In a matter of minutes, 90% of the film was wiped out, starting with the disappearance of Woody's entire body. No! No, no! 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 So what saved Toy Story 2 from oblivion? Fittingly enough, a kid, Galen Sussman, the supervising technical director for the film, was at home after she'd given birth to her second child. As such, once a week she'd take an entire copy of the film home with her. As it turned out, hers was the only copy of the film that was left. So her computer was wrapped in blankets, put on the backseat of her car, and then carried into Pixar to quote one executive like an Egyptian pharaoh. Lesson learned. Thanks to a backup, the film was saved, the money was made, and the show went on. To infinity and beyond! And beyond. Once again, don't forget our growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. And thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week when a new podcast goes up. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.